Now, would you expect any less from me? I come home and Becky looks at the house and I rearrange everything. That last song, I still get goosebumps thinking that I, <laughs> me, am a child of God. You are a child of God. Man, that should go on my mirror in the bathroom and be bold letters. So every morning when I wake up and look in that mirror, I can thank the Lord that I am a child of God. Pray with me. Good morning, Father. We thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for your protection in our lives and walking close to us. Father, you've been with me this past week, but now it's your turn. It's your time. May my words be yours. And may you move in a mighty way this morning that we can unleash the things that bound us or bind us and be moved in our hearts and our minds to the words that are being shared by you. In your loving son's name I pray and ask. Amen. We have a pretty awesome God, don't we? You know, he even answers prayers far before you even ask. Remember, just two weeks ago, I was up here. I shared with you, I preached to you. And after that was over, Monday came in my office in my quiet time. And it's like, okay, Lord, we got to do it again in two weeks. What do you have in store for me? And for the church now. For I think it's truly crucial that I be open to his direction. And sometimes what I hear with the things that come to my mind, I question. <laughs> but I say God never fails. Later that morning, I get a text from my son in Michigan, Josh. And it says, oh, I am such a proud papa. Oh, a proud papa. I could hardly wait to look at the picture. I think I need to set the stage, though, for you. A lot of you have met my little Carly girl, my little granddaughter. This is her first day at preschool. Four years old. Four years old. Boy, when she was here not that long ago, I really felt old because she ran me everywhere. But she is a true joy and delight. And we will see her, you will see her this Christmas, so buckle up, folks. But the picture that he tagged with his statement of being a proud papa was this. The question for the day in their preschool is, what 
makes you happy. In our afternoon class, there's seven of them. Gary, Barrett, Maggie, Caroline. Playing on the swing set, uh, playing outside. The movies. But look at the top one. Jesus. I think I could walk away right now. And right there, that says enough. She wasn't primed. She wasn't prepped. She wasn't told what to say. This came from her heart on that day in her preschool when she was playing with the kids and the teachers asked, what makes you happy? And she replied, Jesus. So I ask you, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? Ah, the ball started to roll off the mountaintop at that point. And it started to increase with speed because all of a sudden different perspectives as far as what makes you happy. How do we respond to that? Pastor Serge gave a wonderful sermon last week in the relationship with God, the simplicity of the gospel. I love the one text that he had up there. He must increase, but I must decrease. And how true that is. For when it comes to Christ, I am not the important one. But in his eyes, I am. It's not self, it's Christ that I need to look at. He needs to increase in my life. He needs to increase just like Carly. Jesus makes me happy. In listening to the sermon, I couldn't help but think of a text that a lot of us are familiar with. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Like last time I want to share with you some things that I've experienced maybe you can relate 42 years ago I was baptized not here in the rental church where the water was freezing cold I didn't know if that was on purpose or what did they do this all the time I'm new to the family but once all of a sudden it came to the point of justification and sanctification, justification was that moment right then that I accepted Jesus Christ. I accepted the ticket that he had for me of him dying on the cross for me. I was jubilant. I was excited. And I expected that my life would change just like a switch. Boy, was I wrong. Can you relate? Normally half the time when people get baptized, I'll whisper in their ear in the baptistry, buckle up, my child, for the spiritual warfare will be intense, just as you mentioned today. 
The spiritual warfare was intense for myself at that time. And I came out wanting to know, gee, what, what now? What now? This was all new to me. This was all. I thank the Lord. And I see the faces out there who were there for me 42 years ago. You walked with me. You encouraged me. You were by my side and you helped me. And that is what I want to share with you this morning. It is so crucial for us to be able to be that for those who come into our family. I know people have good intentions, but sometimes they would hand you a book. It wasn't definitely this one, but it was something like this. Here, Fred, National Sunday Law. Read this one. It's important for you. I'm just new. National Sunday Law? And, and what seems to happen with the National Sunday Law is that They try to spiritually feed me with french fries. Oh. And a whopper. Here, Fred. Read this. And I look at that and I try to take that and what happens? I gag. I choke. Because in reality, what I need at that time is milk and spiritual baby food. Yeah. Right? We're all babes at that point in our life. We're all babes, and I came to realize, you know what? This is for all of us. I know that people have good intentions, but we have to be very empathetic to where the people come from. Jesus says, I go to where they are at. I let them determine their needs. I have found over these 42 years as far as doing Bible studies that sometimes the best thing for me to do after baptizing someone here in the baptistry who may be 40, 50, 10, or whatever, follow Jesus. It's, it's the simplistics of the gospel that we need to build our foundation on. Not this. And that was one area that I had in my life that I was concerned about. Okay, Argel, you're in charge of watching this. Make sure no one comes up here and takes it. Because when you have this conflict in your life, and it's there, can you relate? You all of a sudden then start to take it upon yourself to find the old trusty toy that we all loved as a child. Because I found myself to be a square peg wanting to go into a round hole. 
And guess what? <laughs> Just a minute. It doesn't work. I missed it. Drill. The thing is, I was impatient. I was impatient. Yeah, we are square pegs. But there's a thing called transformation that God wants to do within us in the sanctification process that may start here, but it goes with you forever. I mentioned it last week. We come to really know God one step at a time, one breath at a time, one day at a time, one tear at a time, one miracle at a time. It is a marathon, not a sprint. We are a work in progress. And unfortunately, when we have to deal with all of this, we lose sight of the true gift that was given to us at the very beginning. Because I'm focusing on my behaviors and trying to live up to the expectations of what I think people want from me, which in reality is, what does God want from me? And he says, be patient, son. Sorry to inform you, but Fred, you're a sinner. And you're not going to change overnight. In fact, you won't change until my son comes to take you home. But in the process, I'm going to help smooth down the rough corners. I'm going to make it possible for you to experience me. It's where that perspective is in my life that is so crucial. This morning, we're going to be focusing on what drives your life. With the help of Rick Warren here, I want to share... The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. Do you agree with that? For those of you who enjoy taking notes in the bulletin insert, you'll find this page. You can kind of follow along. But the question is, what drives your life? Think about it. What drives, only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. If you look in the dictionary, when it comes to the verb drive, it tells us to guide, to control, and to direct. I can sit here and tell you that when it comes to what drives your life, well, I can drive a golf ball. 
I can drive a nail. And I can even drive a car. I got it worked on since you've seen it last, folks. It's all tuned up. See, this is my Tiger car. I couldn't afford a Jaguar, so it's a Tiger car. New headlights. I'm kind of partial to this car. I like it. It's got safety features. Seat belts. I took it out for the spin the other day, and oh, I just loved it, the old wind going through my hair. I felt good. Got a lot of new features. Good old horn. You never know when you need a horn. You don't want to do road rage. But there's always a time, oh, a squirrel, get out of there. Now that was close. Horns are crucial. As I sit in the car and all of a sudden I think, hmm, maybe, maybe this is kind of like sanctification. Come on, I'm going to ask you all to reflect back when you got your driver's license. For me, it's 15 and a half to get my permit. And I realized my mom was not the one to take me out. My dad did. I don't know about you. But the day that you got your license, was the day that you got a car that gave you permission to drive. It was like the justification of the baptism. Now, oh man. Mom, you need anything from the store? Huh, do you? Huh, huh? Need anything? I'll go get it for you. Milk, anything? You're always eager to drive the car. And I see kids smiling. They've done it too. But when you get in the car for the first time, you're still kind of sheepish here. Ooh, make sure you do adjust your mirror. Make sure everything's working. You, you just don't feel real comfortable with it yet. And the only way that you're going to get comfortable with the car is what? Drive it. Get behind the wheel and drive it. And like a lot of you, in driving the car, you have accidents. You have tickets. Been there, done that. Not intentionally, but it happens. But that's part of the sanctification. God still loves you unconditionally. And he says, just keep trying, my son, because it takes time. You are a work in progress. So with that, we're going to look at what is the driving force in your life? You know, this is a full church here. Right now, 
Many of you may be driven by the force of a power, of a problem. Pressure. Deadlines. You may be driven by the powerful many or a, a memory or a haunting fear or unconscious belief that you hold on to. I know for me coming into the church, there was beliefs that I had to set aside, that I had to check and look into the mirror and say, Lord, what is right, what is wrong? These factors are real. It affects each one of you today. I know it did for me. There are hundreds of circumstances and values and emotions that can drive your life. This morning we're going to look at five. What is the driving force in your life? Many people are driven by guilt. And I'm going to ask you now to be transparent and honest with yourself. In order for you to get something in this, you have to be able to look in the mirror and say, okay, I have to need to be honest with what I see and with what I hear. They spend their entire lives running from regrets and hiding their shame. Guilt-driven people are manipulated by memories. They allow their past to control their future. They often unconsciously punish themselves by sabotaging their own success. I know in talking with my son Josh, the teacher, he speculates, he stresses. I said, son, you are your own worst enemy. Are you? We are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. Highlight that in your mind. We may be products, but we're not prisoners of it. The first song that we sang was about being a slave. We don't need to be slave to the enemy. Christ has come to break those bonds that bind us. God's purpose is not limited by our past. Look forward, folks. Many people are driving by resentment and anger. They hold on to hurts and never get over them. Instead of releasing their pain through forgiveness, they rehearse it over and over in their minds. Resentment always hurts you more than it hurts the person that you resent. While your offender has probably forgotten the offense and goes on with life, you continue to stew on your pain, perpetuating the past. Boy, I've been there. I like to wallow sometimes. But when you wallow, you don't move anywhere. You stay where you're at. You have a pity party. Many people are driven by fear. Their fears may be a result of a traumatic experience, unrealistic expectations growing up in a high-controlled home, or even genetic predisposition. Regardless of the cause, fear-driven people often miss great opportunities because they're afraid to venture out. Ooh. I like the box. 
I'm comfortable in my box. It's warm in my box. Jesus invites us to get out of the boat, doesn't he? I think the box applies to that as well. Fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from becoming what God intends for you to be. You must move against it with the weapons of faith and love. There's a spiritual warfare, folks, right? And we have to put on the armor of faith, the armor that it talks about in Ephesians every single day. And that armor here talks about the faith and love of Jesus Christ. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it by myself. And sometimes if I dwell upon myself, fear will take over because I can't do it. Many people are driven by materialism. Their desire to acquire becomes the whole goal of their lives. I don't think it's my goal, but I know that I gather way too much. Stuff in the storage, stuff in the garage. This drive is always once, this drive to always want more is based upon the misconception of having more will make you more happy, more important, more secure. But all three ideas are untrue. If I could just have more, I'll be happy. You know, there's, you could do a whole sermon, which I think we have, on that one word, if. If I could, if my wife, if my children, if, if this situation, if, the, if, 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 then I would be happy. There's nothing out there that can make me happy except Jesus Christ. Because everything else refers to me as the self. Possessions only provide temporary happiness. Boy, how many times has that happened? You purchase something, get it a month. It's old stuff. Because these things do not change, we eventually become bored with them and then want newer, bigger, better versions. Folks, real security can only be found in that which can never be taken away from you. Never be taken away from you, and that is your relationship with God. Bank on that. Invest in that. Make that a high priority every day because that is yours between you and God. Many people are driven by the need of approval. They allow the expectations of parents or spouses or children or teachers or friends to control their lives. I'll, I'll be honest with you. God's worked with me. For many years, I always had to have this sense of approval when it comes to preaching, especially with Pastor Eric, Pastor Serge, but then again, too, I stand up in front of my family 
Boy, do I want you to like me. I want you to like what I say. Well, you know what? I'm focusing on the wrong thing, aren't I? And it's taken a while to realize I love you. But what I have to say doesn't come from me, I believe. God's using me as a vessel to be able to share with you what he wants to say. So if you don't like what I'm saying, take it up with the big guy, okay? Because it's not a sense of approval that I have to have. Many adults are still trying to earn the approval of unpleasant, mm, unpleasable parents. Well, the times that I have counseled and talked with people, that seems to be quite an issue. Others are driven by peer pressure, always worried by what others might think. Unfortunately, those who follow the crowd usually get lost in it. One key to failure is to try to please everyone. Being controlled by the opinions of others is a guaranteed way to miss God's purposes for your life. The influences of others. I think of our kids today. Wow. That is a battleground. We need to be praying for them on our knees because the influence that the enemy has with their friends, those that they come acquaintances with, those that affect them in their life is so crucial. Especially when it comes to peer pressure. Because I'm sure each one of you may be sitting here saying, I think, I don't, I don't think, I believe I have lost my child. And it's real. But there's always the flip side. The flip side, the benefits of a purpose-driven life. For we need to have that purpose-driven life. Knowing your purpose gives meaning to your life. We were made to have meaning. Meaning. When life has meaning, you can bear almost anything. Without it, nothing is bearable. Do you agree to that? When life gets tough, then I have God, but if I have my wife, I can bear anything. There's something that gets in us to realize that you only need to have a small thing, an effort to be able to stand the, 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 the acts of the enemy. Without God, life has no purpose, and without purpose, life has no meaning. Without meaning, life has no significance of hope. Hope. Two songs you sang this morning both had to deal with hope. The hope that we have is Jesus' blood of righteousness. That's prevalent. That's something that we can bank on. Not only do we struggle, Isaiah, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. 
I can't do nothing. It's in the Lord's hand. We have to come to this realization. It's not about me. Job. Uh, Someone's going to relate to this one. I give up. I'm tired of living. Leave me alone. My life makes no sense. Been there, done that. We're on a journey. We're a work in progress. Has God abandoned Job? Has God abandoned you in these feelings and needs that you experience? No. We've abandoned him. The greatest tragedy is not death. The greatest tragedy is not death, but life without purpose. I have sat in my office many times talking to individuals who are frustrated, who are trying to get the square peg in a round hole. And they just say, I, I don't have any purpose. I don't have any purpose. And when I look at that individual, it seems that they are empty because they have no hope in them. So for me to counsel them, it's not a matter of an equation. Here's what you do. The equation, or should I say the prescription I ask of them is, tell me, how is your walk with Christ? Because that's where it's at. That's the prescription that each one of us need to have. How is our walk with Christ? Hope is an essential to your life as air and water. I can't live without air and water, nor should I live without hope. Where do I find hope? Right here, folks. Hope throughout these scriptures is what gives me the life that I need, which gives me the purpose that I need. You need hope to cope. You may feel that you're facing the impossible situation. Ah, but the Bible says, Now glory be to God who by His mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. He, he wants to outdo my wishes. He wants to, to take me to the ultimate of what he wants to give me, of my dreams, of my desires, of my thoughts, but hopes. He is there for me. And he answered the prayers even before I ask him. Knowing your purpose simplifies your life. It defines what you do and what you don't do. Your purpose becomes the standard to use, to evaluate, which activates the essential and which aren't. Without a clear purpose, you have no foundation on which you base decisions, allocate your time, and use your resources. 
You will tend to make choices based upon circumstances, pressures, and your mood at the time. People who don't know their purpose try to do too much. <sighs> See, we, we, our default button is works again. Well, if I'm, if I'm not feeling this way, then maybe I'm not doing enough. It is impossible to do everything people want you to do. You have just enough time to do God's will. If you can't get it all done, that means you are trying to do more that God intended you to do. Boy, that's prevalent. Sometimes I find that even my own. I get too busy. I get too busy thinking that I need to do this, 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 and this when the reality says, Fred... Take a break, son. Step away. Allow me to be the determining factor of what it is that I want for you. Because see, son, I have a plan for you. I've had a plan from you since day one. Don't lose sight of that. Hold on to the ticket. But rely upon me. Rely upon me. Knowing your purpose focuses your life. It, concent if concent it concentrates your effort and energy on what's important. You become effective by being selective. It's a human nature to get distracted by minor issues without a clear purpose. You will keep changing direction. Without purpose, we flounder. We have no guidance, no direction. Without a clear purpose, you will keep changing direction. Jobs, relationships, churches, or other externals, hoping each change will settle the confusion or fill the emptiness in your heart. Always trying to fill that emptiness with something. Something. You think maybe this is the time that it will be different, but it doesn't solve your real problem. A lack of focus and purpose. What fills that emptiness in my heart? Christ. He's always there. He stands at the door and knocks. It's a choice that I have been given. There is nothing quite as potent as a focused life. One lived on purpose. Paul writes... I focused on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Ah, now that's good counsel, folks. Look forward. Don't look back. Because when we look back is we have a tendency to create problems. Look forward knowing that God is with you. He's directing you. He's guiding you. With God, all things are possible. Knowing your purpose motivates your life. Purpose always produces passion. Nothing energizes like a clear purpose. I bet each one of you have experienced that. When you've had a purpose, man, you were energized. There was something about that that you couldn't put your finger on, but you knew it was a God thing. But on the other hand, passion dissipates when you lack a purpose. Just getting out of bed becomes a major chore. 
It is usually meaningless work, <laughs> meaningless work, not overwork, that wears us down, saps our strength, and robs our joy. It's just trying to manage life without a purpose. We're almost done, folks. Knowing your purpose prepares you for eternity. I got to keep in my mind that I got a kingdom I'm looking forward to. I got a kingdom that has been promised to me. Many people spend their lives trying to create a lasting legacy on earth. They want to be remembered when they're gone. Yet what ultimately matters most will not be what others say about your life, but what God says. What is your tombstone going to read? What people fail to realize is that all achievements are eventually surpassed. Records are broken. Reputations fade. And tributes are forgotten. It's dust in the wind. All my wonderful stories of my basketball career in high school are gone. Living to create an earthly legacy is a short-sighted goal. A wiser use of time is to build an eternal legacy. You weren't put on we weren't put on the earth to be remembered. You were put here to prepare for eternity. When the MS hit me, it rocked my life, I told you. It changed how we lived. But boy, it changed my perspective when it came to my wife and my two boys. And I told them, you know, sons, Pops here is not a wealthy man, and I'm not going to be able to give you a lot of money when I die. But what I can give you now are memories that you will hold on to forever. Do you believe that? So that was my goal, that was my objective as a dad, to have a legacy for my boys to create memories. Every spring break I took off. Every opportunity I could, I was with my boys in the park, playing, building, doing something. I wanted them to be able to have the memories of their time with Pop, to be able to be something they would treasure for a lifetime. I even spent time with my lovely wife, and we made memories. Because, see, those are things that can't be taken away from us. Like the things that we feel that are important of the world's point of view, they're like dust in the wind. But the legacies that you live with, leave with your family, with those around you, those are priceless that will hold on through eternity. Ah, the things that I have learned and valued from my bump in the road of the MS, it has been a blessing, folks. A true blessing. The true gospel is a call to self-denial. It's not a call to self-fulfillment. 
For you gentlemen who come to the last Sundays of the month to our breakfast, which I tell you, Charlie, you flipped some awesome pancakes. Thank you very much. We've been going over overcoming self. This last one was part two. Zert said in reality it was only supposed to be one Sunday. But when we discussed the aspects of overcoming self and what was involved, guess what took place? There was more there that we could handle for that Sunday. So he made a part two. Last Sunday we met. And guess what? There's going to be a part three. Maybe a part four. Why? Because overcoming self is not that easy. It's not that easy. We seem to have to get ourselves involved in everything. If I could just take self out of the picture, Lord, it would be so much more easier. I give it to you, I take it back. I give it to you, I take it back. Self gets in the way. And this picture I leave with you here. The heart of the gospel is the cross. Amen? And the cross is all about giving up power. This has been one area of my life that I've had to work on and understand, and that is surrender. Surrender. It's not that hard, Fred, I've been told. Why do I struggle? Why do I struggle? Surrender. You have seen the car here multiple times. You have heard me talk about this car in the way that, well, we all like to drive the car, don't we? I feel good about myself. It makes me feel important. There's something about driving this car that the self within me desires. But Christ, who should be and normally is, is in the passenger seat. And he leans over after I've went into the ditch a couple times and says, Fred, would you like for me to drive? No, I, I got it, Jesus. I, thanks for the offer. I got it. And I continue to drive and I continue to make mistakes. In fact, I even get a ticket. Until I come to that point of being fed up with myself, I say, Jesus, you know what? You drive. You drive. Am I any less of a man sitting here in the back seat? Why do I think I am? 
Am I less loved by God that I'm in the back seat? No. In fact, in fact, folks, picture yourself in this seat right here. And you're holding your ticket that you got the justification of the death of Jesus Christ who died for you. You are the richest, the wealthiest individual in the universe. Why? Because you have surrendered to God. He wants to do everything for you. He gives you eternal life. He feeds you. He clothes you. He takes care of you. He meets your needs as long as you're in the back seat and not grabbing for the wheel. And he's got a smile on his face. And he talks to me and he laughs with me because he loves me. May we leave here today with each one of you desiring to be in the back seat. To be in the back seat. We, we have to give up the power of self to truly benefit the power of the cross. That's what it's all about. May I see you on the road as Jesus is driving your car. And you're smiling in the back seat because in reality, it's not so much what drives your life, who drives your life. I choose Jesus. Jesus.